Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 129, and we're going to talk about your very own personal flying van. Kind of, not really at all, but stick with me, it's fun. (laughs) We're also going to talk about ants and what to do when they're in your van, a tale from the road involving Antarctica, and it hasn't happened yet, and a place to visit that Mark Twain was proud of because he lived there. Hello everyone, welcome back. We live in absolutely crazy times, and uh, I'm a bit overwhelmed with everything that's going on right now. So this week, I'm just going to talk about a pet project of mine that I've never completed, and I thought maybe we could kind of do a collaborative thing. Like, I'm going to tell you my idea, and I'm going to tell you what I've thought of for accomplishing this, and maybe you can get back to me with your ideas, and maybe we can, like, come up with a way to make this work. And the idea is this. You want to do a bit of van lifing. But you need to be a few thousand miles away. For example, let's say you live in Atlanta, but there's this van life gathering you really want to go to, and it's in Seattle. Now, maybe you have a van, maybe you don't. But the problem is, how do you get your van from Atlanta to Seattle without driving it? And these days, I don't need to remind you, driving is very expensive. Well, what if you could fly? Now, hear me out. And again caveat. We live in crazy times. Airfare is expensive. Flying is no fun. Gas is expensive. Everything is difficult. I get that. But eventually things are hopefully going to normalize and this idea will work. What if you had a go kit, something that you could carry on a plane that would let you rent a minivan or an SUV or some other vehicle with enough space to lay down in and turn that into a no-build camper van instantly or within half an hour. I really think this could work. And I know people have actually done this, but I feel like this could actually be a resource that we could come up with a list of things that work and don't work because this isn't as simple as it sounds. There's a lot of things in the way. My way of thinking about this is two parts. First, you are going to bring stuff with you. There's going to be a list of stuff you bring with you. And then there's going to be another list of stuff you have to get when you get there. For example, you're not going to bring water with you. That weighs a ton and it's fairly easy to get. So you'll pick that up. So this idea will include a trip to the store, but you're not going to be buying anything except consumables for the most part. I think this is a fun idea. I would really like to try it and make a video for it, but now is not the time. And I don't think it's quite fully baked yet. I think it's a half-baked idea. So I'm asking you, the listener, to send your ideas for how to make this work to jeff at builttogo.com. That's two T's, not three, not one. And maybe together we can come up with a way to make this work. And this will make it so that anybody who can afford a plane ticket and a rental car, which is a smaller number of people than maybe it should be, can actually do van life for a weekend or a week or whatever. Now, we have the same problems with a van, with van life, that we always do. You need a place to sleep, you need a way to cook, you need a way to deal with the bathroom, you need water, you need power, all that stuff. So we need to address each of those things. So let's start with the vehicle that you're going to get. 
There's a wide range of vehicles. Now, I mentioned a few weeks ago that I rented a Chrysler Pacifica. That would be a great vehicle for this. It has tinted windows. It's very, very stealth. And the floor does fold pretty flat if you put all the seats down. So that's a good candidate. But there are a lot of SUVs out there that could work, Suburbans. And unfortunately, they tend to be the more expensive vehicles. Now, remember, if you rent a minivan or a full-size van, it's going to have seats in it. So you're going to want to find one that the seats either can come out and you can leave them somewhere, which is going to be tricky if you've got a full-size van, or one that has the fold-flat seating like the Chrysler Pacifica. In fact, most of them have that now, but not all. Some vans only will fold the back seat down, and then you've got this front part that's a pain. SUVs, similar thing. You have to do your research ahead of time and see if that SUV is going to have enough space for you to sleep. And this is a challenge because you don't always know what vehicle you're going to get when you rent a vehicle. You may say you want this vehicle, but when you get there, we all know it's a crapshoot. You don't know what they're going to have, and it's kind of a pain in the butt. So that's something to worry about with this project. You may get there and suddenly the only vehicle they can rent you is a Ford Mustang and, well, you're going to have to be a little bit shorter than me to make that work. Now, what about cars? Yeah, I mean, it, you could do this in a car. There are a lot of cars that have seats that fold down into, like, the trunk area. And, in fact, Element Van Life did this once. He actually slept in a rental car where he was, you know, he's a tall guy. Nate, Nate's not short, and he was able to kind of sleep with his head in the trunk and then his body out over the seats, but he hated it. He did not like it, so that would be only an emergency thing. Really, I think the best thing you can get is something like a Chrysler Pacifica, which is a fairly common vehicle to rent. Uh, Voyager is another brand name. Um, any, of the, any of the minivans, basically, I think are going to work, so I'm going to focus on that. So, number one, get your vehicle. How are you going to deal with the basic issue of where are you going to go to the bathroom? Yes, you could just stay at Walmarts and use their bathroom. You could do that. But I know a lot of people just aren't comfortable doing van life without having an immediate source of relief, even if it's just for emergencies. So you're going to need to deal with that. A few ideas. You could get what are called <clears throat> wag bags. I did not name these things. But there are these literally just little bag toilets. There's no bucket or anything. It's just a bag, and you kind of sit in it, sort of, and you use it. And I don't know exactly how that would work in a minivan. It could be challenging. But there's that option. They tend to cost about a buck, a buck fifty a piece. Or, and this is an interesting idea, I'm not entirely sure how this will work, you get a bucket. Now, buckets are like five bucks. You can get them from Home Depot, or you could actually use your bucket as your suitcase. Now, you couldn't carry it on. Imagine everything I'm going to talk about here fitting inside a bucket, right? And they have these screw-top lids for these buckets that are very secure. One brand is Leak Tight. You can get that at many hardware stores. I know Menards has them. Uh, Tractor Supply has them. There's a bunch of different brands. But it's a screw on top that really makes that bucket airtight. And basically, everything, you could put your sleeping bag in there, you can put all your stuff in there and then check that. And yeah, it's going to survive the plane just fine. And then you've got one less thing to carry around. And that could be your toilet. Now, okay, you're carrying all your stuff in a toilet. You're going to have to come to terms with that somehow. But obviously, you're going to line it with bags. And then you just have bags to throw away, which a lot of people do in their vans anyway. So that's an idea. What about cooking? 
Okay, you cannot fly with anything that's flammable. No, no butane, no propane, no sterno. But you can bring the stove with you. You could bring little tiny bullet stove and then pick up a can of butane at the store or a propane stove or what I have used, and this works great in the summer if you're patient, is what's called a sterno stove. It's just a little container that kind of looks like a stove and you put a can of sterno in it. And these work really well. They're not very hot, which is why they don't work in the winter. And they'll take a while to boil water. It's not the fastest way to do it. But as far as being safe to use and it, there's no danger of it exploding, it's a jellied alcohol that you're actually burning. You could actually use these things and very carefully, maybe with some ventilation, and you probably should never do this. It could even be used as a heat source. So that's one idea. You can bring a very small stove and get the fuel for it when you land. Water. For me, water is actually the easiest thing to solve. You could bring a collapsible container and just fill it up, but what I think is the simplest thing to do is to go to a grocery store and get one of those three-gallon water buckets that has the spout, and then boom, you're done. You can bungee cord this, and yes, you should bring some bungee cords, to the headrest or some other part of the car. As long as it's elevated a little bit, you pull that little lever and water comes out, and boom, you're done. You will want to bring some kind of a bowl or something like that, or maybe just pick one up. And then you've got a basin and that's how that can work. As far as bottles for like wastewater and stuff, you're going to get bottles. You know, if you drink Diet Coke or whatever, you're going to have some bottles with you and you can use that for wastewater. Or if you're careful, you can just dump it outside the van. Now, what about lighting? Well, you've got a van, so you've got interior lighting there. And if you don't abuse it, that could be enough. But if you want some other lighting, you could always bring a Lucy light or something like that with you. These are inflatable solar powered lights that don't take up very much space. Basically, I guess you'd leave it on the dashboard during the day and it would charge up. And then at night it would give you enough light for in there. You don't need that much light in a minivan. So that's a fairly simple problem to solve. But what about batteries? Okay. So this is a bigger problem. You can't bring big batteries with you on planes. You're not going to be bringing your Jackery. The FAA states that the largest battery you could bring on a plane right now is 100 watt hours. Watt hours. So for so basically, you'd be bringing a USB battery at this point. You would be giving up on 12 volts. So you wouldn't be using any 12 volt accessories in this project. But 100 watt hours is kind of a lot. You can do a lot with that. You can charge your phone a few times and stuff. And then every single time you're driving anywhere, have this thing plugged in so you're always charging this battery. Maybe bring two because you can bring more than one. And that's how you'd handle that. You wouldn't have tons of power, but you would have enough. Now, sleeping comfortably is very important. I highly recommend you bring a good quality inflatable mattress. I like the climate mattresses. They're not cheap. I've got two. I think they were 75 bucks each, but they work everywhere. It doesn't matter what surface I'm on. I can sleep in a gravel driveway on one of these things, and I will be comfortable. So that, to me, is worth a lot, and it will help smooth out some of the uneven parts in the back. It rolls up to be about the size of a can of Foster's beer, so pretty small, and for me, that would be definitely worth bringing. If you don't, you've got to figure out how to pad your area and all that. And yeah, you're going to need to bring a sleeping bag. There's really no way around that. I mean, you could bring a bedroll with blankets and such like that. But this actually is something I have done 
Walmart sells sleeping bags for under $10. So you could think of it as a sunk cost and just go to Walmart and pick up a sleeping bag just for this weekend. And then if you didn't want to fly back with it, that's fine. Leave it in the van. Leave it on the side of the road under an overpass. Somebody is going to find it and use it. So you've got that option. It, it's actually for 10 bucks. It's not bad. I do recommend you get a bunch of black trash bags. Not only can you use them for waste, you can also use them to tape up over the windows. And from the outside of the van, no one's going to be able to see in there at all. It's going to look just like a limo-tinted van. And bring a roll of masking tape, specifically painter's masking tape, to hold up that black plastic over the windows because that tape comes off very easily. And remember, when you're done with this, you have made no changes to the van. So that's an important thing. Also, I really think it's a good idea to look into USB fans. Bring some sort of ventilation because sure, you'll be able to crack the back windows. And if you're lucky, it'll have a sunroof that you can open and get some ventilation in there and you can crack the windows a little bit. But you're not going to have a max air fan. You're not going to have any window louvers. This could be a problem, especially given whatever kind of weather you're in. Now, I did have a friend who came to a camping event in a minivan like this, and he opened the back and made like a hatch and then hung a tarp over that and made that like a tent. Now, he could have just slept in a tent, but this is what he did, and it worked fine for him. So remember that you have that hatch there. When it opens up, it forms like a canopy, and you could cook out of the back of the van, and you'd have this little covered space, so you could do that too. That's about as far as I've gotten with this. I think there's a lot of flexibility here, but my goal would be to have one suitcase, have everything you need to go van camping in it for a weekend or a week. And I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Again, send me an email at jeff at builttogo.com. That's two T's, not three, not one. And if I get a bunch of good ideas, I'll present them in a future episode. Tech Talk. Let's talk about ants. Yep, so if you're the kind of person who sleeps somewhere different every night, you probably will never have to deal with ants in your van. But if you're stationary over grass, let's say, for anything like a few days, you're probably going to get ants in your van. Ants just wander around looking for food, and then when they find it, they walk back to their nest and they leave a chemical trail, and that tells everybody in the nest that there's food here, so they all follow that ant right back to where it came from, and suddenly you have a trail of ants in your van. Now, ants aren't that harmful. Some of them can leave bad smells, and they can ruin food, and there's a few species that'll bite, but this is more of an annoyance than anything. So what do you do about it? Well, if you can't move around, then you're going to have to deal with another way of getting rid of them. And really, the only way I know of to deal with ants is pesticides. I know not everybody likes that, but there's no deterrent for ants. Now, some pesticides are more environmentally friendly than others. This is kind of a tricky thing. I know a lot of people like the idea of mixing borax with powdered sugar, and this will kill cockroaches too, for what it's worth. And then you can just put that in little cracks and crevices inside your van, and the ants eat that, and it kills them. That can work. But what I really like are these liquid taro baits. Now, I don't actually know what chemical is in these, but they are pretty minimally impactful on the environment because of the way they work. The ants find this and they drink the liquid and they take it back to the nest and feed it to the other nests. So these actually kill the entire nest. And in three days, basically all your ants are gone. You might have some dead ants around the trap, but 
you're going to have dealt with the problem. And yes, you've just killed an entire nest of ants, but uh, ants are in no danger of being extinct or anything like that. So maybe you can live with that decision. If you have a stationary van, like I have the Tiki Bago right now, and I'm fighting this problem as we speak, you're probably going to need something like this. There's another thing you can do, which is one brand name is Spectracide, and it is a spray. And you can spray around your van, especially anywhere where your van touches the ground. So basically your tires, if you have a cable hanging down, you can spray the cable. I'm less of a fan of this. I don't think it's as effective. And you need to repeat it often, like every few days. But according to the manufacturer's instructions, if you do this, it will prevent ants from getting into your van at all. I haven't had great luck with it. I have more luck with the tarot baits. Uh, one other thing about the tarot baits, when you see ants interacting with the bait, you have to leave them alone. And if you're the kind of person who gets creeped out by this, well, imagine you're just about to go to bed and you notice there's a whole bunch of ants around the trap. Yeah, you kind of just have to go to bed and leave them there. Now, you may be able to realize that they're not going to hurt you while you're sleeping, but still, you're sleeping in the bed and there's all these ants crawling around and that might be a problem. So... I'm sorry, but that's really the only option. Other than that is go nuclear and buy a can of bug spray and just spray it everywhere in your van. And if things get too bad, you can actually set off a bug bomb in your van. But I've never gotten quite that far, and I'm not sure it's a good idea because it's a very small space, and literally everything in your van is now going to have this pesticide residue on it. And, and while it's probably safe, eh, I'm not thrilled with it. So... That's reality of being out in the world with a vehicle or a house for that matter. It's just these things are a lot more noticeable in the small space that is a van. So uh, your other option is just to make friends with them. Tales from the road. So this tale hasn't happened yet. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm planning a trip. I'm planning a solo trip which I do a lot, but this trip doesn't involve a van. This is the largest trip I've ever planned for myself, and I thought I would tell you about it and uh, give you an invitation to follow along as this thing happens. I am 55 years old, and on my bucket list has always been Antarctica. I've always wanted to go, and I, I'm not getting any younger. Um, I am physically capable of doing Antarctica now, which, you know, involves a lot of air travel, a very rough flight, a very rough ocean voyage across Drake's Passage, and some fairly austere conditions once you get there. And this trip I'm planning is going to Antarctica. I will be walking around on the continent. So, um, it's time. And I have the money to do it now, and I'm going to do it. So... I'm doing this fairly inexpensive. I, I want to do it as solo as possible, so I don't want to share a cabin. And I did find a company that has solo cabins for relatively little money. Uh, they're about $8,500 for a week-long trip, which sounds like a lot, but compared to most voyages down there, that's half or less. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. I have to fly to Buenos Aires, switch airports in Buenos Aires, and then fly to Ushuaia to pick up the ship. And looking over everything, I realized that, well, Buenos Aires is a one-hour ferry ride from Uruguay, so I might as well go to Uruguay, too. 
And then apparently the ship is going to visit Chile. So I'm getting Argentina, Uruguay, Chile to add to my countries I've visited and Antarctica. So it's, it's a heck of a lot of planning. I have to buy all these hotels and ferries and I don't speak Spanish and I really wish I did. And then anyway, it's going to be an adventure. There are going to be many tales from the road to come out of this, but I thought I'd let you know, because if you're interested, I can tell you how I'm doing this for so cheap. In fact, some people on this cruise are doing it for as little as $3,500 a person plus airfare. And right now I'll tell you, airfare isn't cheap. That that's kind of a bummer, but yeah. Uh, you know, at some point, folks, you need to start taking your bucket list seriously because you're never, ever going to get any younger. And once you hit a certain point, well, everyone's point's different, but my point is I figure it's all downhill from here. (laughs) That's just how things are going health-wise for me. I've got high blood pressure and my mobility is lessening and doing things has more impact on me and whatsoever. And I'm not complaining. I mean, this certainly is better than the alternative. But it's time to do those things on my bucket list that I really want to. So that's why I'm doing it, and I now have the opportunity, and heck, I'm going to go for it. So this will be in November of this year. I will not have internet access while I'm down there, so I'm going to have to figure out what to do about the podcast. But we'll do something, and again, if you would like to follow, just hey, just drop me a note if you're interested in this. I'm probably going to do an actual old-school blog on Medium, and I'm also talking about it in a different disc channel than the Built2Go Discord channel. I have another Discord channel called the Curious Adventurers Guild, which is kind of uh, curated. Uh, I don't let everybody in this group, but they're the group I travel with all around the world, and I'm posting a whole lot of details about it there. But anyway, if you're interested in any of that, get a hold of me at jeff at builttogo.com and take a moment and consider your bucket list. It is something you need to actually work on. If there's stuff you want to do in your life, well, there's no time like the present. Product review. So I'm always looking for ways to increase video security of a van. And I, this, I'm not sure this is a great solution, but I'm going to toss it out there and you can think about whether this would work for you. Now, where I have the Tiki Bago parked is some, you know, some land. I've talked about it ad nauseum at this point, but it's full of wildlife. We have amazing wildlife there. There's eagles, bald eagles are flying around all the time like pigeons. We don't even like say, ooh, there's an eagle. They're just kind of always there. All kinds of crazy birds and possums and raccoons and deer and coyote and mink and rabbits. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like a little nature preserve and we love that. And we set up trail cameras to watch the wildlife. But the problem is that there's no internet down there. So every time I have to go down and then go to the camera and take out the SD card and see what the images are. And, you know, maybe I did something wrong and it didn't record anything. It, it, you, never, you never know. Well, my trail cam broke, so we were looking for a new one, and we found one that has a cell phone in it. Like, it's a cellular trail cam. And the thing will just sit there, and anytime it sees anything, it will send you a text message and email the pictures and images to you. Ah, and I'm thinking, well, hey, what if I were parked in my van, and if I was worried about security, I could attach this thing to a tree or something that's looking at the van, and then if anyone was moving around the van, this thing would let me know. It's kind of like a security system. And uh, I think that could work, but there are some caveats. First off, 
you have to have good cell phone signal for this thing to work. If you're way out in the boonies where there's no cell phone signal, it'll take the pictures, but you're not going to see them until you go and take the card out. Also, you can't do anything live with this thing. It's not like you can take your phone and like connect to it and see what's going on out there. It's only going to send you stuff if it detects it itself. So if somehow somebody was prowling around the van and didn't set off the camera, well, you wouldn't know about it. Also, it's expensive. The camera itself is 150 bucks, which is quite a lot for a trail cam. And on top of that, there's a monthly fee. It's $10 a month for low-res pictures, and I think it's $15 a month for higher-res pictures and video. Now, it's unlimited. I don't actually think that's a terrible price for that, but it's still, that's, that's a good amount of money, especially for someone living in a van who's trying to save money. Still, I think the idea is worth mentioning. The camera takes pretty good pictures. I don't know if it would be good enough to catch someone's license plate number or anything like that, but you could at least see that, yes, there was a person and they were messing with my van. Of course, you would have to hide the camera so it wasn't obvious. It does have a way to lock it so you could actually lock it to a tree or something. But, uh, you know, it's just something else to have in your arsenal, something to think about that if you want security, you don't actually have to have the cameras attached to the van. You can hide them around the van and actually get a better view. <laughs> of course, then if you drive off in a hurry, well, you still have that camera left behind. So I'll have a link in the show notes to the camera that I have. It's a Bushnell Cellucam, I think it's called. It's, uh, it, it actually works pretty well. There are other brands that might work, but, uh, you know, it's something to think about, and I've had more luck with this thing than I have had with network cameras, which want you to connect to a router. I haven't had really great luck with that. There's just a lot of places where that can break. A place to visit. So if you ever find yourself in the wilds of Hartford, Connecticut, which is actually a, a fascinating, if uh, troubled, city, you can visit the Mark Twain house. That's right. Mark Twain was a Connecticut Yankee, and he spent a lot of his time living in this amazing house right in Hartford. Now, he built this house to look like a riverboat because it was on the river. But over time, the river is gone. <laughs> the river's not there anymore. Actually, that's not true. The river is there, but they buried it. <laughs> so he can't see. you can't see the river from his house. But the house is wonderful and it's filled with mark twain things like it's not just a house tour you go in there and there's a little bit of mark twain everywhere first off you learn about his history you learn about how he was terrible with money and that it was his wife that actually saved him which doesn't sound familiar to me at all and then you learn how they dealt with it and he did some interesting things that related to money. For example, he and his wife were on a trip in Europe and bought an incredibly expensive headboard, which I don't think he was thrilled with, brought it all the way back to Connecticut, and then he realized he couldn't see it while he was laying in bed. So he had it moved to be the footboard. <laughs> so now the master bed in the master bedroom, which was his bed, has this massive thing as the footboard. And it's just so he could see it after spending so much money on it. Also, and I love this idea, he used to tell stories. Well, yes, he's Mark Twain. But he used to tell stories in the house. And the way he would do it, and these were stories he'd make up on the spot is he had a mantle that was covered with all these different objects, and he would have the children or whomever he was telling the story to point to an object and tell the story that he just made up on the spot. And he would incorporate other objects if he could, and I thought... Well, in fact, 
honestly, I thought that was such a good idea that when I do my curiosity table displays, which is like a cabinet of curiosity set up on a table, that's actually what I do. I just tell someone to point at an object and I tell them that the most boring things on the table often have the most interesting stories. And then I just go from there. And that, that has worked really, really well. Now, the Mark Twain house is actually a complex. Harriet Beecher Stowe has a house there. It turns out they were neighbors. They, they were not of the same time period, so they weren't like really close friends, but they, they were absolutely neighbors. And there's a lot to do there. I mean, you could easily spend four or five hours just in this complex. I do have a couple of complaints. One is that they do ghost tours here. Mark Twain, I do not think would approve of this because he was a notorious skeptic who, even though he may have written about ghosts, did not believe in them personally. And they don't allow photography, which to me is just crazy in this day and age. When I asked them about that, they told me it was for security. I don't know what that means. But uh, anyway, just know that you're not going to be allowed to take any legal photographs while you're touring the place, but uh, who's going to know? Hmm? Hmm. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Yes. So anyway, check it out. Hartford, Connecticut has a bunch of interesting things, but one of the most interesting things is the Mark Twain house. And I will have a link in the show notes. Resource recommendation. Okay. It's time we had a conversation about WD-40. Yes, that ubiquitous lubricant that people use on everything and it fixes all your problems and people are using it wrong. <laughs> it's not a lubricant. WD-40 is not a lubricant. Uh, a lot of people who are techie know this. WD, of course, stands for water displacement. It was invented to basically dry things out. The liquid that is WD-40 would push the water out of electrical connections and things like that and allow them to work again. But then they realized it was good for a whole bunch of other things, except it's not good for lubrication. Remember that I said that. So there are many articles you can find on this, but I found one on Gizmodo that was fairly good, and I'll have a link in the show notes. And it's called 10 Surprising Uses for WD-40. And some of the things on here aren't obvious, but they're great ideas. For example, you can lubricate a shovel now, wait, Jeff, you just said it's not a lubricant and shovels don't have moving parts. So what? Okay, well, you're not lubricating. Well, you are kind of lubricating. But if you spray a blade of a shovel with WD-40, stuff won't stick to the blade. And that's true for snow as well as like clay soil. You want to let it dry. You don't want it to be wet, but it can really help. And some of you who live in areas with clay soil know what a pain that can be. So that's a good one. Other thing you can do is clean tile. So if you have tile in the bathroom that has like nail polish on it or mascara or scuff marks and stuff like that, WD-40 is, is actually really good at getting that stuff off. You know, because it's kind of like goo gone in that regard. It can help with that. It can also help with stainless steel. And actually, it will help remove scuffs from your car, too. It sounds crazy, but if you do this, like take a paper towel and spray some WD-40 on it and then wipe around the inside of your sink with it. And your sink will look much, much better. Or if you have scratches on your van from like driving down a trail and the branches got to the side, the WD-40 will take that right off. Or at least it will make it look better. It's actually a trick that people use when they're selling a vehicle is to wipe it all down with WD-40 to make it look better. You can also use it on leather to help soften the leather. It mentions here that it'll help free up stuck Legos. It erases crayon. It helps remove rust. So, I mean, it's actually a really interesting substance for a number of things. 
but it is not a lubricant. If you put it on a door hinge, it's going to actually attract dirt into the hinge and it's going to end up leaking out this black stuff and it's really not going to lubricate it very well. That door is going to be squeaking again very soon. And bike chains, absolutely never use it on a bike chain because it will displace the grease that is there that's the right kind of grease for the bike chain. So you're actually degreasing your bike chain. You don't want that. Apparently paintball guns have a seal in them that WD-40 will just dissolve and it, if you try to lubricate a lock with it, you can wear out the lock. Now that said, you can use the WD-40 on the lock to get water out of it, but then you need to lubricate it with something else like lithium grease or three-in-one oil or something like that right afterwards. And never, 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 never spray it on your iPod or your iPad. Apparently there was this thing going around the internet where you could do this and it would fix things. Yeah, don't do that. It can dissolve some kinds of plastic, including the kinds that are inside iPods and iPads. So... Take some time to learn about WD-40. It is really useful stuff. I always have some with me in all my vehicles, but it's not a lubricant. And yes, I'll have a link in the show notes. Thank you very much for listening to episode 129. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. And folks, you're invited to have a conversation with me and the other built to go folks. We are on Discord and Facebook and Twitter, sort of, and even Instagram, which I still haven't quite got the grasp of. But you can find all these things at the top of the page at builttogo.com, and I would love to see you there. Until next time, remember the words of Annette White, who apparently wrote a lot of things like this. Each time you try something for the first time, you grow. A little piece of fear is replaced with empowerment.